When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. It's Monday and it's the start of another week of daily Premier League podcasts. This is Football Social Daily and the top flight weekend is far from over. We may have had plenty of drama already, but there are still two fixtures to look forward to tonight as Brighton and Everton do battle, whilst West Brom welcomes Southampton. We'll also take a look back at Sunday's late kickoff where Arsenal swept aside Sheffield United, but stealing all the limelight again... V-A-R. It was meant to be brought in to remove doubt, to remove controversy, to reach the right decision at the end of it all. Have we seen any of that? Most of all, has it made Premier League football better since its introduction? It's an injustice, says Manchester United's Scott McTominay. This isn't football, says TV pundit Micah Richards. We'll dive into it here on the only seven-day-a-week Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. I'm Niall McCorn and kicking off this week on the podcast, it's Marley Anderson. Hello, Marley. Hello, guys. You're right. Yeah, very good. Good to get you on a Monday, actually, after a Newcastle win, because that doesn't happen too often. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only happened three times in the last 21 weeks, mate. So, yeah, you caught me in a slightly better mood than, uh, than I normally am on a Monday. Not that you've been keeping track. I suppose it's as rare as snow at Easter, but we've had that as well, haven't if, we? If there was a sign of the apocalypse, it's snow in April and Newcastle winning a game. So, you know, it could be could be a bad sign and West Ham being in the top four as well I think that that counts as well towards it uh, also joining us and making their football social daily debut is Imran Lahir hi Imran hi how are you doing very very well mate Imran's from the United Hour podcast which you can of course find on the sports social podcast network we'll find a little bit more out about the United Hour podcast later on in the show but time to get stuck in and just a forewarning we will be talking about VAR a bit later on so if you can't bear to hear it I thought I'd let you know ahead of time I genuinely thought we'd be able to get through to the end of the season without discussing VAR in detail but how wrong was I but that isn't where we're going to start though we'll begin by looking back at last night's Premier League game between Sheffield United and Arsenal at Bramall Lane a game which ended 3-0 to the Gunners Gabriel Martinelli scored, but it was Alexandra Lacazette who was the main man for Arsenal. The first goal involving some excellent team play. Marley, I thought the link-up play from the Gunners was absolutely excellent and finished well by Lacazette. We often hear Arteta talking about the process. Is that the style of play do you think he's talking about, the way that they cut Sheffield United to ribbons? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, I think we're used to seeing Arsenal score that type of goal over the years. Um you think about them at their free-flowing best, and you know the the fluidity of the moves was always very, very good, and one of their one of their strengths really. Um, the problem was always you know being solid and being hard to score against, and that was that was a constant challenge for them. But you know this season, for most of it, they've not been able to do either of those things, so they're, they're trying to balance it out. And you know, uh, without sounding like Steve Bruce to saying get the balance right, um, it was. <laughs> That's what they have needed to do. And sometimes I think, you know, going into the game against Sheffield United, I expected them to win. Um, but I expected them to make it a bit harder, a bit of a harder job than it needed to be. Um, mm. Just because of the way they're playing, you know, they they, they blew it against Slavia Prague in the uh, in the Europa League last week. 
could it have affected them? I thought maybe you know Sheffield United if they stuck in and fancied it, you know they they could um, they could do something. But Arsenal looked right up for it from mm. from the first minute really, um, and they scored two. Well, the first and the third goal were were brilliant pieces of football, um, mm. and then the second goal I think just sh- summed up exactly Sheffield United season in a in a nutshell really. Trying to pass it out from the back, I think Lundstrom play, plays one of the worst passes I've ever seen, and they end up scoring <laughs> thanks to you know. Uh, Ramsdale's cabbage wrists yeah. just flapping one into the path of um, of Lacazette or Martinelli sorry and yeah I mean it, it just sort of showed the whole game was like a sort of um, a, a window into either side season because Arsenal can mm. do that still and they've still got that talent and Sheffield United uh, you know haven't got and haven't got a hope in hell to be honest but they yeah. I think they're their performances are now starting to show why the 20th in the league and have only won two games all season yeah, I've been disappointed with Ramsdale this season for Sheffield United, it's fair to say. It was like, you know, here you go, have this. Simple as he that. Could, uh, he could be the youngest goalkeeper to have two relegations on his on his, uh, on his his CV Very like at this stage of his career. I don't know whether there's anyone who's 22, 23 and already has two relegations. Yeah, back so, to back. It's like he'll probably join Norwich next year and go down again. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Building mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's hardening himself up, Imran, that's what it is. I thought it was an interesting point there from Marley, though, Imran, because, you know, we can talk about the fact that Arsenal played really well last night, but it was only Sheffield United. I think we have to throw that into the mix. But I think it's the consistency from the Gunners, which we just haven't seen. They can play like that and they can tear teams apart on their day. But the problem is, for me, that it isn't their day often enough. I don't know what your take is. Yeah, I mean, you've hit what a couple of my notes was consistency and only Sheffield United, which is a bit ironic coming from a Man United fan and we did lose Sheffield United. But yeah, it's it's only (laughs) Sheffield United and... They just need to be doing that every week. It must be mind them in being an Arsenal fan. You see what they do on Thursday against Slavia Prague in a competition they really want to win. Like Europa League has to be their priority now because they're not going to get into the top four. And you really think that's the competition where they need to be pushing on and beating teams like that at home and they just don't do it. And then, yeah, you go to away to Sheffield United, you win 3-0, all well and good. But is that enough for Arsenal fans? Probably not. And they just need you just need more. You want more in the big games and they're not getting that. Again, it's a bit ironic because Arsenal beat us at home earlier this season but that's what they just want that consistency you'd imagine yeah absolutely and you know what on that Lacazette scored twice his 50th Gunners goal in the process that's 13 now this season for him and it isn't a bad return actually just one away from matching his record goal scoring season of 14 which I think was his first season in the Premier League with Arsenal in 2017-18 but they're still languishing in mid-table the Gunners you know we talk about that consistency Imran how do they fix it how does Arteta go and go about fixing it we've spoken about removing the deadwood which interestingly as a United fan you would have heard a few times I think over the last (laughs) few seasons under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer do they need more firepower up front because Aubameyang stopped scoring goals this season what do you think the solution is for Mikel Arteta I mean, Aubameyang is a big one for them, really, and he's not going to go anywhere with the contract that he signed. So they really need to get him firing again. That is the key. I don't. He doesn't turn into a bad player overnight just because he signed a contract and what. I do. I do think him playing out on the left hasn't been great for him mm. in general. Although he did score a lot of his goals off there what, last season. I do think you're looking at them two really as your top strikers for them next season, and you just got to hope that Aubameyang comes good, and then you can reinforce elsewhere, bring in strong leaders, strong characters elsewhere into the team. I actually think Arsenal have a lot of decent players, and especially young players. We've got a lot of decent young players. Yeah. I think it's about getting the right heads around them to steer them in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And again, Saka and Martinelli both looked bright yesterday. Smith Rowe, another young player. Martinelli's fab- I think Martinelli's fabulous. I think he needs to get more time. I think he's a really, really good player. I mean, we've got Mason Greenwood. I think Martinelli's all, all, all as good as Greenwood can be. Mm. I think that the experience that he's going to get under Arteta as well, I think that Arteta will give him games, plenty of games, when he's fit. And we have seen that. With this whole situation with Arsenal, Mali, and especially the Aubameyang thing, can you trust Aubameyang to, to get back to you know, the goal-scoring best that he's been at for the last two or three seasons before now? Because as Imran rightly points out, you don't turn into a terrible football player overnight or just because you put pen to paper on a contract. Do you think that we will see him back at it next season? Because it seems unlikely that with the deal he signed and the age he's at, that anyone's going to come in and take him away from the Emirates in the summer. Yeah, well, they've got to. They've got to hope he comes good because, you know, as as you said, he, he signed that contract that became a bit of a saga last season. You know, will he, won't he, blah, blah, blah. And he, he played some of his best football towards the end of last season when he 
when he wanted to sign it. And how many how many times did we see that? You know, a, a player starting to play out the skin when uh, when they need to secure their future. Or... Shane Long. That's yeah. the only player I can think of that always used to play unbelievably well when he needed Shane a Long contract. used to turn into an Irish Thierry Henry, didn't he? He's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then just go back to being complete. I don't even know where he's playing now. Where's Where's Shane is Long he still now? At Southampton. Is, is he on loan? Oh, he might be on loan. I think you're right. You know. I think he went on loan somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, you have a look at that. Um, Aubameyang was like in it. <laughs> I you know I agree with what Imran said there. I think when when he played from the left, I think you lose his impact. I think you you've got one of the best finishers in the world on on the pitch, and there's a difference between playing up front and floating in from the left, and then playing on the left as in you're starting on the left and actually have to go up and down, you know, and and do a bit of everything. Um, and I think that's the one thing I've I've been disappointed with with Arsenal under Arteta because. I feel like they could have got more out of him. I mean, we said before that Lacazette's one goal away from becoming his, um, having his his best season. His best season is fourteen goals for Arsenal. And that's that's too low. That's too low for a, for a side that wants to finish in the top six or or even the top four. Because you know you've got a striker like Aubameyang who can score twenty three, twenty four quite easily, and then you're playing him on the left to accommodate a striker who can play. And only score fourteen a season. I mean, Callum Wilson's got ten for Newcastle. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's not it's not a massive um, amount. And I think Lacazette should have scored more in his career because I think he's a he's a quality finisher. And I think his goal return sort of mirrors how good your team is because he will he will fill his boots if you're creating a lot of chances because he's a good finisher. He's good in the air. He's got two uh, two good feet. His movement's really good. He's a hard player to deal with on his day. But they've not been as good as as they need to be to get the best out of a player like him. I mean, we haven't seen many times where, um, like yesterday when Partey turns in midfield and Lacazette makes that perfectly timed run and they score a great goal and he finishes it one on one. How many times have we seen him do that this season? It's not been, it's not been enough for Arsenal. So um, they need to sort out Aubameyang's future and and sort out his position, sort out the system he was playing on a you know the left side of a four. A three-four-three for six months this season, and it never worked. Arsenal were flirting with relegation rather than, you know, being anywhere near the top eight. So, you know, um, it's it's a problem for Arteta, but you've got to solve those problems. You know, you are you're always going to have issues. You've got quite an old squad there, and some of them are on, are on uh, big money, and you've got to knit them together with the younger players that want to be there, um, and not you know affect the development of the, the likes of Martinelli, like Imran said. I agree, he's absolutely. He looks like a really, really good player, and his his ceiling could be as high as as anyone in the league, in my opinion. But if you're uh, if you're sort of forced to to stick with Aubameyang, then have you got to make a decision because you're stuck with him now for the next three or four years? Because Real Madrid, Barcelona, they're not going to come for him at thirty one. They're going to go for Erling Haaland. They're going to go for Sancho, Foden, maybe you know all these players. There's there's so many players that that are more attractive than Aubameyang these days so Arsenal do have to find out a way to get them to get the best out of it yeah Lacazette 13 goals so far this season obviously with a brace against Sheffield United yesterday but it's three seasons before that 10 last campaign 13 the season before that and as I said before his first season in the Premier League 17-18 14 goals in 32 top flight matches so maybe he does need to be a little bit sharper in front of goal if Arsenal are going to get themselves back into the top six, which is really where they should be aiming for a club that size. What about Sheffield United then, Imran? We know they're going down. I don't think there's any question about it. Do you think we'll see them back soon, like Norwich City seem to be doing in the Championship? They're clear at the top of the Championship table on Norwich, and it looks like they're going to bounce back at the first time of asking. Or do you think there's been too much damage done with the way Chris Wilder left and the likelihood that the team is going to get pulled apart, some of the better players might move on? I think if Wilder had stayed, I'd be a lot more confident in their chances. I think yeah. there is too much up in the air with him not being there and we don't know what they're going to look like next season. Um, I actually, I don't know how many of their players they'll actually lose. I mean, a lot of them came with them from the championship anyway. I don't think anyone's mm. going to be snapping up a Goldrick, uh, for instance, or <laughs> like maybe, maybe Lundstrom, maybe. Like, I, I can't see, and I don't think anyone's going to, be wanting Ramsdale uh, unless they want to go down next season as we've discussed. I think Sander Berg is the only one yeah Sander Berg is probably that springs to one. mind um, and think, maybe John um, Flair Lundstrom's contract up as well at the end of the season yeah it is but generally point. the core of the team probably stay together I do think they'll probably need a striker in there yeah. like a, you know like a good championship striker to bang in some goals I think that's what kind of you need to get up into the, the premiership again it's hard it's a very competitive league at the end of the day it's it's 
there's a lot of moving parts mm. currently for Sheffield United. But one thing I do think they'll obviously be a lot better in this season. I don't think they'll be like uh, Huddersfield, uh, who just kind of struggle now in the championship. I think they'll be around the playoff area just because yeah. they've got a lot of decent players and they'll probably like get back to winning ways. Like actually winning a game would just be good for them. <laughs> um, I don't know, like Mali, when Newcastle went down, um, was it not just good to be just winning a lot of games again? Do you know what it was? Um, and you know, we 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 um, we work with a, a woman called Sophie, and she's a Norwich fan. And when you talk to her about um, Norwich and coming up and going down every year, she always says she prefers the Championship because they win, and it's just a, a better league. You know, it's a, it's more enjoyable as a fan. Um, and yeah, it probably was like that with Newcastle a little bit. But the one thing that always wound me up about. Um, about being in the championship is number one, you can never find your highlights on TV because it's on, you know, channel, I don't know, Quest or some whatever First it's on these days. Yeah, um, and the second one is it's every bloody team's cup final, so you get crap teams turning up at St James's Park, just playing out their skin like Nottingham Forest, like trying to turn you over to prove that there's still a big. Hang club on, Forest have won two European cups. <laughs> yeah, forty years ago. <laughs> when was the last Basically, time Newcastle won a trophy? I can't stand Forrest, mate. That's what it is. That's all it is. And they and they were particularly bad for it. They were like, I just remember they were proper houses in the way they played. Like they were time wasting. They were, you know, the goalkeeper was running for a ball on the touchline rather than behind the goal when he needed to take a goal kick. And they got did they, they were one nil up at the time and stuff like that. Mm. But um, I remember Henry Lansbury as well. He was a little pillock. He tried to <laughs> he uh, he tried. I think he snapped someone um, and he didn't get sent off for it. And then he scored the goal, so he thought he was mint. Um, and then he scored a last-minute own goal, so Newcastle won two one. Um, and he made the mistake for a, for the equaliser as well, so that was great. But yeah, don't want to don't want to go back to the championship anytime soon, even though we do win more games in there. But I'd rather struggle along and be be a part of this podcast where I can actually talk about my team. Because if we go down, well, I'm not going to be able to talk about Newcastle anymore. Try supporting a League One team. <laughs> nope. <laughs> where everyone comes to Fratton Park. <laughs> And parks the bus, and you can't find highlights anywhere as well. Um, Shane Long, by the way, at AFC Bournemouth, Bournemouth on loan from Southampton. So that's where he's plying his trade. Arsenal 3, Sheffield United nil the final score at Bramall Lane. Still two more Premier League fixtures to talk about. Everton against Brighton and West Bromwich Albion against Southampton. We'll talk about those a little bit later. But next, we're having the dreaded conversation. We're going to be talking about VAR. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Don't forget to hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode of the podcast. Again, brand new shows covering all things Premier League seven days a week. So as I say, hit subscribe or follow or whatever it may be on the platform you use and that way you won't miss an episode. Now, the Sports Social Podcast Network, we're a part of it here at Football Social Daily and so is the United Hour podcast. And Imran, who's on the show today, He's uh, the main man at the United Hour. So come on then, Imran, tell everyone listening what the uh, the United Hour is all about. Yeah, it's just a Man United podcast. Um, a couple of us have got together and we've been doing it for about five years now. Uh, it's generally for after the match, match reactions. So we release a podcast the day after pretty much every game. Uh, just proper deep dive into the game. So basically, once you've listened to this podcast, got a brief overview of the United game, head over to United Hour and you can get some in-depth discussion. Uh, we also just chat about the latest news. Like uh, We've got a podcast same day, so after you listen to this one, you can download our Tottenham review where we talk about the game, talk about VR, which we'll get to now. And we also talk about Jesse Lingard, because who doesn't love Jesse Lingard at the moment? So yeah, <laughs> uh, I love how you give yourself a bit of time to uh, to collect your thoughts rather than going all guns a-blazing straight after the game, because I oh, imagine no, no, we, that can be difficult. <laughs> we record straight, literally straight after the game, guns a-blazing sometimes. It does depend, but like yesterday, when we're buzzing off the win, it's straight onto the pod just to... <laughs> really get those instant reactions, uh, especially after a game like yesterday where it's fantastic. And even after miserable losses, it can also be quite cathartic just to get it straight yeah. after. So, yeah, um, give us a listen. United Hour gives us a follow on Twitter and Instagram as well. That'd be great. Absolutely. Go and check out Imran and Co on the United Hour. You can find it on the Sports Social Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcasts, and also sport-social.co.uk. That's our website. If you hit the podcasts tab you'll be able to find a load of different podcasts including the united hour on there so go and check it out that website again sport-social.co.uk 
Time to talk VAR, video assistant referee. It feels like the debate has reached absolute fever pitch this weekend. A couple of major incidents, which we won't dive too deep into, but we'll definitely pick up on them, Marley. Son and McTominay, an incident in the Manchester United against Spurs game where McTominay seems to almost palm Son off and kind of clips him with his fingertips. Son spends three minutes on the ground. A decision's made to disallow a goal that was scored after that incident took place and certainly ruffled a few feathers. Roberto Firmino was a judge offside in the Liverpool against the Aston Villa game after scoring an equaliser. Uh, in fact, it wasn't Firmino who was offside, it was another Liverpool player, but you get the idea. It was a narrow marginal call. Just two examples from a host this weekend alone. Uh, Micah Richards on TV said, this isn't football. I know you're someone, Marley, who I think you've said before on the show, if it's offside, it's offside and the right decision needs to be made. Do you think you side with what Richard said in the Sky Sports studio, that this isn't football as we know it, or is it just something we're going to have to get used to? Um, <clears throat> I think this is football now. Um, that's that's it. I think people who want VAR gone, I don't think they're... I don't think they're being realistic. I think it's here to stay. I think even if we get rid of it, I think the only way to get rid of it is to get rid of it in the entirety, so in the Champions League, across Europe, everywhere, just get rid of it if that's what you want to do. But you can't drop it as the Premier League, I don't think, and expect other other nations to follow you because then you're going to get a situation where you know English teams are getting screwed over in the Champions League because they're not used to the to these rules and they're going to have it's going to be worse in the long term because you're going to get decisions in the league that you're not going to get when you're in the top um, competition in Europe. You know, and you're in a Champions League quarterfinal and whatever, um, you know, like the decision with Man City and, and Tottenham for the handball, you know, you're not going to get those decisions if you if you don't have VAR. Sometimes it works for you, sometimes it works, works against you, but I think once we sort the rules out, um, I think that's, that's where the issues come from with VAR. I don't think it's ever... Like, VAR doesn't do anything than, other than impose the rules, so if there's a but problem... But is it even doing that? Because... I mean, just to use the McTominay incident for an example, there's question marks over whether Son should have stayed down and whether he's tried to cheat and con the referee. But I think that's by the by because there is contact there. It's getting to the point where the rules are being changed so much that even the most minute amount of contact is interpreted as a foul. And I think we saw a recent game also involving Manchester United where, was it Maguire or Lindelof? Someone had their hands all over him and then a decision was made off the back of that. Which was, it was equally It was Lindelof. There was an equal amount of contact, if not more, and yet the decision went the opposite way. So if we're talking about consistency and the point of VAR, I guess the whole point of it was to make every decision correct and to make accurate decisions more of the time. But it just feels to me like we're in the exact same position as we were when referees were the sole focal point in the middle of the park dictating the game and making the decisions as we are now with VAR it doesn't feel like we've made much progress because we're still seeing decisions controversially going one way in one game and then the other way in another game yeah I think I think to be fair what it's done is is highlight how much grey area there is in football um, and how many decisions get let go um, when you have one look at it and then you have a second look at it and you think oh maybe then you have a third look at it and you think that definitely shouldn't count because under the laws there's contact with Son's face for example um and you know that's that's a a punishment wherever it is on the field whether it's you know in, in a box or you know in midfield and it, it leads to leads to something but you know it was a was a, a silly decision but you know the these things get given the the issues come when you see things and then VAR doesn't have a look at them again like for example in the Newcastle game um Tarkowski hit switch in music on um, <laughs> on Sean Longstaff in the box and nobody nobody looked at it again and it was like anywhere else on the field that is a thing so why is not VAR looking at it why is that why is that not mm. a penalty if it's a free kick um, and it was funny enough because literally half an hour later Longstaff got kicked again in the face but it was in in midfield and the referee was like yep high foot free kick and Longstaff just looked at the referee like are you f***ing serious like why is what's the difference between that and um and what happened to me in the first half? Except I was going to score a goal in the first half, but mm. Tarkowski got kicked, you know, kicked me. And that—that's the issue. It's the consistency and the consistency versus the nitpicking nature of, of VAR. Because you know, you can be consistent, 
but you have to you have to get every decision. You have to look at you have to not make a decision, uh, not make a wrong decision if you're gonna look at everything and you're gonna insist on having VAR. You can't let things go. You can't let things slide. And I think that's what people are annoyed about because you know um, in in the past it you know it's all the emotion and everything like that. And I think mm. the one thing we we're, we're sort of lucky with in a way is that fans aren't in the stadiums this season because VAR, I mean, there hasn't been a week yeah. um, gone by where VAR's sort of took over a game at least once. And, you know, you see the fans last season, match of the day's sound editors had a, had a nightmare because everyone's chanting um, <laughs> VAR every week, <laughs> you know, and it becomes like 60,000 people because even the, the team that have got the decision still hate it and they hate the fact that they've got it at times. Um, and they're, you know, they're and the screaming. fact the fans can't see what's going on on the big screens is a joke as well for me. Yeah. I just think, you know, the match-paying fans, they're the ones that are there in person. They deserve to be able to see what everyone else sees. Yeah. Um, you're leaving them in the dark and they're the ones that are kind of the key component to yeah. it. To me. I, I just think you just need to change the way it's implemented um, and give the referee more. You know, if he thinks there might have been something in the build-up, just let him have a look at it while the team's celebrating, for example. But don't have... A team of referees saying, "Oh, Mister Mister Michael Oliver, we think that may, we think you might want to have a look at that because it just implies that he's he's missed something." And then, you know, the more you look mm. at it, the more you convince yourself that there's something wrong with it. So, it's wrong for me. the The problem with the problem with that for me is it it's just it's not fit for purpose in the sense that the law was made what years and years ago when pre-VAR time, so it doesn't marry up with the VAR that we have. And also like there's the wishy-washiness around it. So for instance, clear and obvious is such a, a daft thing in principle because one man's clear and obvious isn't another man's clear and obvious. So how can how can that even exist? Um, yesterday, most people thought it wasn't clear and obvious that it was even a foul by McTominay on Sun, but one person in a, in a VAR box somewhere thought it was clear and obvious. And that's kind of an issue then because we're all arguing, well, what is clear and obvious, what isn't? And another thing for me, like um, I know you just said um, that Marley said it's offside or you're not, which is fine. You are offside or you're not. But with the VAR technology that we have, you aren't offside or you're not because we don't have the exact technology to pinpoint that because you are using human error of pinpointing a guy's shoulder, a guy's thigh, whatever. And then you're also going against a rule that was invented for a linesman, not for a computer. These things all need to marry up. If you go back 60, 100 years or whatever, Imran, like what you're saying, Offside was brought in to stop teams gaining an advantage over their opponent. How much of an advantage can truly be gained by half an inch of someone's knee being offside? If they're three yards offside, then that's an advantage, a distinctive advantage. But you just think about these things in the way that, as you say, the law that was written 50, 60, 80 years ago for human error to, to be factored into it, that isn't the case. It feels like we're kind of applying technology to an outdated system. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the Liverpool offside, I thought was crazy. Like, how can you look at that and think that's offside? I don't know. But then the, in the West Ham game, they got a fourth goal and it was offside, um, clearly offside. And then it's like, you want people to pat you on the back and say, well, look at VAR, it's got that right. But it should get rid of that right. That is such an obvious offside. It took one line. You could tell from one line that it's offside. And that's maybe where you need to go. Maybe you can only use one line for these offsides. Maybe you put one line down and then you look at your naked eye. Do you think that's offside? Yes or no? At least then, you know, we're not going to the minutia of picking a guy's what armpit hair it's 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 crazy to me it's crazy. i mean for, for for a start offside should be feet based personally that's why i think at least you can pinpoint a feet easier yeah. easier than i was just about to say that it's so hard to pinpoint someone's armpit so you need yeah. to you know you see that you see the thing don't you with the when they put the lines up and they're trying to draw a straight line from something that's in the air and the perspective is never clear it's, never is it? it's, on, it's is always it? confusing yeah. yeah and also an armpit is like two or three inches wide and that could be <laughs> yeah, well, you know the difference playing. between on and off side <laughs> so yeah if you do it with with somewhat the tip of the toe something that's actually touching the grass i think i think that is the way to yeah. the way to do it and you know if your head's forward you know in, in that sort of running motion if your head's over but your feet are, are behind the uh, the last man then you're fine um i think but, we sh i think interestingly on the offside we should do what the Dutch do in their league, which I think is the best way to go about it, thinking about it. The way they do it is there's two lines. Obviously, 
the varying degrees of thickness or whatever, you'll have to set a standard at the start of a season. So the lines are always a certain thickness, which the computer can figure out easily enough. So basically a line is drawn where they think the offside uh, is, and then they bring the second line in. And if there's a gap between the two lines, then it's offside. If the lines are touching, then they don't think that there's enough of an advantage for the offside to be given. I think that's the easiest way to do it because if there's a clear gap between the lines, it's clear that one player's ahead of the other and it's offside. If the lines are touching, it's probably too close to call. And I think that's the way they do it in the Netherlands. And I think that's the way that would make it more efficient here in the Premier League. Yeah, I like that as well. I think the argument against it is people say, oh, well, what if there's like a millimetre or minor millimetre between the two lines and then that's not fair. But I I agree with you. Like if there is a, even if it's a small gap, it is a gap, then it is offside. I agree with you 100%. I think that then we're making it easier to determine what is and what isn't. You know, when they're getting the the zoom out and and magnifying into players' armpits and stuff like that, that's when the game just doesn't become enjoyable anymore. And that's what I think uh, Michael Richards was getting at, saying that it wasn't enjoyable. I thought you said something interesting on social media, Marley, actually, about Martin Tyler, who was the commentator for Sky Sports, saying on TV that he changed his commentary slightly as as if nobody knows whether the goals are going to stand anymore. For someone as seasoned as Martin Tyler, who's 75 years of age now and has been commentating for 50 odd years, maybe more, for him to have to kind of adapt his way of commentating on games because he isn't sure if the goals are going to stand or not. That shows a significant change in the way the game's played now. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's, I, I understand your point. I don't know if it's the best example with Martin Tyler because I've always been frustrated about how he never gets excited for anything, <laughs> um, and I've always I've never been able to stand him as a as a commentator. To be honest, I, he gets randomly excited for for certain things, and then not others. Like he, he'll scream and it's live as if it's some sort of worldwide, you know, the, the best catchphrase in the world. As if it's like let's get ready to rumble with uh, Michael Buffer. Um, and then he'll, he'll someone will score a worldy goal. Like I remember, was it Ben Teke scoring that bicycle kick um, against? Uh, was it Man United or Old Trafford? Against yeah, us. yeah, it was against us. Yeah, and he just sort of went, "Oh, and Ben Teke scored," and it was like that was a worldy. That was a six foot three guy, <laughs> you know, flinging himself through the air, absolutely powering this uh, this bicycle kick in. And he sounded like he, his dogs just died or something. And I was like, "Oh, right, okay." And then he screamed, screamed his head off when Martial scored against uh, Liverpool, and it was like, it was just yeah, but that's worthwhile. Come on, oh, it was, that was a great goal. It was goal. an okay goal. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was just a league game, and that's a thing, wasn't it? It's just it wasn't like it was a you know Champions I mean, you League know, final three one against Liverpool. Yeah. I mean Martial. It, it, I mean, I, if anything, he didn't celebrate enough in my opinion. <laughs> that's just me. Well, he was wearing his Man United pajamas in his uh, in <laughs> in the uh, commentary box, but yeah, he's um. It, going back to the to the point it it probably does it's it's you know we mentioned before about the fans um emotions with with VAR and it's it's the same way with when you consume it through the TV you're always waiting for you know or did did that um will that count you know was someone offside that I wasn't you know I didn't see in real time and the the commentators are no different they're watching the game live um and they're looking at the linesman and the the referee is, you know, with the finger on the rave, talking to the the three nerds in the uh, the the little box thing, looking at all thirty two angles of of a decision and an offside and what have you. So it's probably just it's probably just natural, you know, the the way you've you've got to approach football now. You you do have to sort of second guess yourself, um, and you can only really sort of commit to uh, to a celebration when you're absolutely certain that that it's a goal and you know that's one of the biggest frustrations about VAR it takes the emotion out of uh, out of things and that is probably having a knock on effect with Martin Taylor who didn't need a, another excuse to be less excited about a football game than than he already does well let's remove ourselves out of the Martin Tyler situation and back onto VAR you said something earlier Marley about you know we need to get used to it it's here to stay do you think we're too far along the line, Imran, with VAR to start making changes? Because I think Marley's right. As much as I'd love to see it completely torn up and thrown in the bin, realistically, it's not going to happen. But is there such a thing as being too far down the line? It feels like the referees at the moment care more about not making mistakes and they're almost paranoid about making errors than actually what's right for the game. I don't think we're too far down the line. You can make adjustments to any system gradually or not. I guess the problem with football is we have a governing body overall, and then you have the FA, and then you have the the FA, the the 
uh, referees association as well so it's kind of gets a bit bureaucratic i guess trying to change things and i know that the league wanted to, we we didn't want to have tight offsides at first i think but then the the bit we were basically instructed that we had to or something oh no it was the handball wasn't it we had to follow a handball that was yeah. to the letter of the law um but we can't i i don't see why not like ultimately this is a system it's new and it has to adapt and it has to change as we go on it has to it just has to get better really um whether that be through law changes whether that be through referees whether that be through referees only var referees so the same referees mm. are always in this um uh, the var place at the same time only those and then you have on pitch referees um i think because you're just passing the opinion on to someone else aren't you yeah. effectively it's the same thing as being a referee every referee has a different opinion what you might think is a foul imran i might not and it's the same with VAR. Like, I mean, there's no clear answer to how we fix it. Well, I mean, there's small things you could do. Like, for instance, I think slow motion should be get rid of for most things, apart from maybe handball. So, like, you can't, you shouldn't be looking at that McTominay son incident in, handball, in uh, slow motion yesterday. It's ridiculous to look at that in slow motion. It, anything can look bad in slow motion. It's crazy. Mm. Like, the, the football is played at a fast pace, and that's the pace you should be looking at. The referee has seen that incident at game pace judged it not to be a foul and then has gone back and reviewed it in slow motion. That doesn't make any sense to me. So mm. there are little things, there are always little tweaks I think we can make to the system and it is here to stay. So we might as well just try and get it to be at a better point now as we can really. And it is better. I think in Champions League, it's a bit better to be honest with you. Although we did have some mm. incidents in midweek. I think the fact that the offsides, they give a bit more tolerance is a bit better. The fact that we don't even see it might be even a bit better because then the controversy is lessened, maybe. I don't know. But there's yeah. definitely things that can be done, I would say. Yeah, there's been some crazy suggestions like calls to have players or ex-players <laughs> in the VAR room guiding referees. I don't know how that's going to work. Can you imagine I mean, Roy Keane in there? Exactly. Nonsense. Yeah, Roy Keane in Manchester United <laughs> versus Liverpool or something like that. You know, it'd be absolutely ridiculous to get him in there. Um, so there have been some strange suggestions on how to fix it. I just think that the way that it was teed up and packaged VAR, that it would eliminate controversy, that the right decision would be made more often than not. I just don't think that's happened. I think they failed fundamentally on what they've promised to deliver. How many years did we, not well, not us, but you know, people in, in football, how, how many years did we sort of campaign for video in football? Well, this and is it. It's many... the players, Marley, the players, the managers, exactly. those mm. people behind the scenes, the board members, the chief executives, the chairman, the ones that feel like they've got more on the line than other people. They yeah. were the ones that were campaigning for it. And now they're the yeah. ones that want to see a U-turn. I don't think the it... fans really have too much involved in this in terms of the ones that really were lobbying for technology. It feels like it very much came from those within the game. Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we must have talked about it for at least four or five years, six years maybe. Because, you know, everyone was like, well, if surely if you can look at a video, you, you'll get the decision right, you know, rather than sending someone off. And still, it hasn't changed that at all. Because well, Hasn't it just exposed the level of referee that we have in this country then? Isn't <laughs> Prob- it? Like you could always, I guess Probably. when you didn't have VAR, you could kind of sympathise with the referee that you have to see it once and that's it. But now you get to look at it over and over again and still come to the mm. wrong decision. I mean, can we trust players as well? I mean, Son being labelled a cheat, I don't think he was a I cheat. Think I think that's unfair, to be honest with you. I think... Yeah, I mean, where's the line drawn, Imran? Well... I honestly think that football and referees are set up to have players do that. If you don't scream, you don't get a decision. If you don't go down, you don't get a decision. 100%. Yeah. If you don't get on the floor, roll around, you don't get a decision. So I have, I have, I mean, I do not blame Son at all. He even grabbed the wrong side of his face. Fine, go for it. Like, you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to get a decision otherwise. I mean, if he stays on his feet, uh, there's probably, it's never looked at. No one cares. Mm. No one even probably references it. And then we get a goal. Sorry, Man United get a goal. And then the game continues. But he's gone down. He's got the decision. Great stuff. I've, to be yeah. honest with you, I have said earlier this season, when De Gea, I think when Lindelof got that hand in the face and when De Gea got a bit of a shove, I said, why are these players not rolling around? Why are they not bringing attention to it? Because that's what you have to do. Because that's how the game is refereed. So, I mean, it's, yeah. is it great? No. Is it needed? Yes. It's a great point. And you know what? On that, I remember just a couple of weeks ago, Phil Foden nearly had his ankle broken in a game where he stayed on his feet. I think it was Ramsdale on that occasion as well. Nearly broke his ankle coming out to try and, uh, to try and was tackle McCarthy, him. Was it, it McCarthy for Southampton? Southampton. I thought, I thought you'd uh, not let a Saint play a goal off that one. <laughs> I thought you'd have that in your head. They're about as good as each other, to be honest. Two very bang average goalkeepers. Um, listen, we'll leave it there for VAR. I'm sure if you're listening into Football Social Daily today, you've got your own opinion. And if you do, let us know at the Sports Social on Twitter. 
Sports Social Official on Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search in the search bar for the Sports Social. Speaking of Southampton, they've got a game tonight. They take on West Bromwich Albion at the Hawthorns. Brighton are also playing Everton. We'll talk about both fixtures next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Niall. I've got Imran and Marley alongside me. Two Premier League fixtures tonight, Monday night, to wrap up the top flight weekend. We'll start with the game that takes place at the Amex. Brighton play against Everton. Important game for both sides, Marley. If Brighton win, that's pressure back on your team, Newcastle United, but it also brings Brighton closer to safety. Meanwhile, Everton, they need a win to stay in the top four picture. They're still, I think, seven points behind at the moment, so they've got some ground to make up. Yeah, um, it should be an interesting one, really, because I think both teams are, are capable of playing like a, a, a good sort of style and stuff, so it should be, footballing-wise, a, a pretty good game, but... You know, Everton have to have that consistency. I think they've they've shown at this uh, this season that they can beat some very good teams and turn in some top performances. But they haven't, you know, they've struggled with that consistency. They've lost to teams that you wouldn't expect them to lose to. I think they lost. Um, we've beat them twice. Newcastle beat them twice this season. You'd expect them to be beating, you know, us teams like that. You know, um, consistently. So when you play Brighton, we know that Brighton can play a better way than you'd expect of the team that is, what, 16th in the Premier League or whatever they are. So, you know, they, they have got that level of, of performance where they can raise it and, and put teams away if they can find the net. So it's um, it'd be an interesting one, really. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not really that worried about Brighton anymore in terms of the relegation race. It's it's only Fulham that I'm bothered about because um, I think Fulham are, Fulham are, the, Fulham are the ones that are, that are probably going to go down, to be honest, aren't they? Mm. But yeah, um, them, and I think I think even Burnley are more in trouble than Brighton because we've seen, like I've just mentioned, we've seen how Brighton do play every week, and you you did you do have to be yeah. good to beat them. Um, but funnily enough, everybody, I mean, it's weird how the 16th in the league. It's really strange because they play so much better than that, and they don't defend particularly badly. But then the the 16th after 31 games, you know what I mean? It's weird, but. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. But... And actually, I know you like sticking the knife into Burnley. Burnley have been shocking this year, like just dreadful. Yeah, They normally offer far more than, than what they've offered this season. So I don't know what the reasons are for that. Anyway, for Brighton in round, still got Chelsea, West Ham and Man City to play. Think they've got enough in the bank or is it still too soon to tell with about six, seven games to go? I mean, I think Mal hit it on head. They're a weird team. In fact, this I would say these are, this is the battle of the two weirdest teams in the league, Everton and uh, Brighton, <laughs> to be honest with you. They're just bizarre teams. Uh, Brighton, like, I honestly, Chelsea, West Ham, Man City, they'll win one of those games. I don't know which one, but they will just pull a win out of, for one of them. And Because that's the team they are. They play good football, and eventually, sometimes, it just kind of marries up and they'll win a game, and then they'll lose five games that they should, probably should have won because that's just the team they are. I think they do have enough, though. I think they, they play good football. They've got some good players in, like, Gross and um, Trossard. So I think they've got enough about them just to stay up. I, I agree with Marley. It's between Newcastle and Fulham for me, and it probably will be Fulham that goes down. So, yeah, Brighton, they'll they'll pick up a winner too just because of the way they play, and then that'll see them through, I think. I don't think it'll be tonight, though. Everton have also got some big games coming up as well. I think they're probably too far away from the top four, Marley, to break into it, actually. Spurs, West Ham, Man City to come. Uh, eight points, actually, I think, adrift they are of the top four. Bit of a bridge too far for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the annoying thing is that it was in touch for, for Everton this season. Um, I think there was a point in the season where they'd played a couple of games less than everyone in that race. Um, and I can't remember who they lost to now, but they had a couple of dodgy results. Um, you and Fulham. Oh, was it Fulham? That's what I was thinking of. When was it Madger scored twice? Josh Madger um, yeah. for for Fulham, and, lost, and that yeah, was both at Goodison. Yeah, that was a one. Um, and yeah, you know that's that's where you've got to you know you got to be you got to be clean and clinical and, and beat those teams. I think they're not far away from a from a proper challenge. Joe. I think they've they've definitely shown signs this season of of um, of sort of crashing that top six next season think you know if West Ham get into the top six next year and then they're playing twice a week and Everton don't get in and aren't next season then that plays into their hands um I think they're doing great business in the in the transfer market with Ancelotti um you know bringing players like James Rodriguez and Alan and Dakure I think they've signed really well so next season maybe 
is uh, is something where they can have a little bit more depth in attack. Um, and if Calvert Lewin does get uh, injured or a bit of a knock, you know, can you can you um, add someone to the squad that can come in and deputise for him and uh, and be mm. another threat as well as um, Calvert Lewin and Richarlison? So. Yeah, I think um, Everton. I think they'll miss out this season, to be honest, just because the the standard is is a little bit too high from the teams above them. Um, but they've definitely got the signs to 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 do something next season, and they've got the manager, they've mm-hmm. got the majority of the playing squad, um, and they could have an advantage with with a limited um, set of fixtures next season. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think consistency is the word that Ancelotti's been talking about in his press conferences lately. Similarly to Arsenal, you know, they feel like. You know they could be uh, of a similar vein to them in the sense that if they can start performing more consistently, they certainly will challenge at least for the Europa League spots next season. Anyway, Everton travel to Brighton to take on the Seagulls at the Amex Stadium tonight. The other game that takes place this evening, West Brom against Southampton at the Hawthorns. For me, in round far more on the line for West Bromwich Albion, obviously, because they're on the brink of getting relegated back to the Championship after just a season. They scored five, though, against Chelsea, so... Off the back of that result, do you think they become favourites for this one against Southampton? I wouldn't go that far. Um, still a Sam, still, <laughs> still some, Sam Allardyce and West Brom at the end of the day. Um, they did really well against Chelsea, to be fair. I know it was 10 men, but they played some excellent football and I thought they were very impressive. But it's still a little bit too late for them at the end of the day. I think they are going down. And I do actually think they might have a good game tonight against Southampton tonight. But, I mean... I think Southampton are a really good team. I know you probably don't want to hear that as part of a fan, but I actually really like Southampton. I think they're a very good side. So I always kind of back them to do well in games and I would back them tonight as well. It's the last time you're coming on Football Social Daily, yeah. man, to be honest. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I, I really like Hassan Hootel. I mean, it does help that we pumped him 9-0. I think that helps me. <laughs> um, I, I quite like Hassan Hootel. I really like Danny Ings. I like a lot of their players and I just think, yeah, I quite like watching them. I think they're quite a good side, uh, well-organised and... They generally keep going. They're not, they're not one of the. They're not a Burnley who just kind of put their feet up and relax. I think last season, towards the end of last season, I think it, when we came back from lockdown to play all the games in July, I didn't think they, they didn't lose a single game. So they just, they do keep going even though there's not a lot on the line for them. So I can see them going again tonight, and I don't think Hassan Hootel will let them drop really. So yeah. Be a tough one for West Brom. I don't like any of those people you've just mentioned. Um, I hope everyone <laughs> has a great week, apart from Hazen Hurt and Danny Ings. Um, it's yeah, just not showing you bias there at all. Are you? <laughs> Is it just a case of getting to the end of the season for Southampton now, though, Marley? Um, I think they should enjoy this season while they last because I think they're going to have a really tough summer. I think Ings is going to leave. Um, I think they're going to struggle to replace his goals. I think I'm not sure if Shea Adams has got enough goals in him to to hang your hat on next season. I think you do have to go out and buy someone who's going to uh who's going to try and do that maybe I don't know maybe you can get a Regi or someone from from Liverpool or or somewhere I don't know what, who they who they've been linked with but you know I like I think... how we only have to do Southampton Liverpool transfers that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. all that can happen. Yeah, well they they might end up getting Minamino and reversing the whole uh, the, you know going the opposite way up the motorway but I don't know I think I think Southampton haven't done enough this season to um, to prove that they're really going somewhere. I do. I like the way they play. I like the pressing. I like the um, the philosophy that Hasenhutl has. But I don't think they've done enough. They had a great start to the season, and as soon as um, as Hasenhutl dropped to his knees and started crying when they beat Liverpool, I think that was when the wheels <laughs> just came fully off the season, and they just ended up. It's the rest of the season's been a car crash. I think they lost. Was it eight in a row or something like that? <laughs> Um, and then you know they lost to Newcastle, and then I thought, "Are ah, you really in trouble if you're going to lose to us?" Because I think we were on a 17-game unbeaten streak at the uh, sorry, 11-game unbeaten streak at the time when we uh, when we turned Southampton over. But yeah, I think um, as for this season, I don't think they'll go down. They've got enough um, to beat the teams around them. Um, I think they'll beat. Um, I think they'll. Beat. Who are they playing tonight? Who bloody West hell? Brom. West Brom. Sorry, West Brom. Well, they got they've got West Brom, and then they've got an FA Cup semi final. Yeah, that's Leicester. the big one. Is yeah, the FA Cup semi final is the big one. For yeah, them. I think they'll beat West Brom tonight, and and that'll almost mathematically guarantee the safety, even though they're probably not going to go down anyway. But I think they'll um, they'll be all right to the end of the season, and then everything hinges on the FA Cup semi final. Let's be honest, if they win the FA Cup semi final, they're probably going to lose in the final. So. You know they're not really got much chance uh, to win that realistically, but 
that's it for Southampton. You've got to, you've got to sort of take these chances when they come because I think they are going to get. They're going to lose a couple of players in the summer. I think I just can't see them adding to their squad with quality likings. I don't think they're going to go out and sign, yeah. you know, a midfielder that's going to get them fifteen, twenty assists next season, um, and you know, kick on to the next level because the rest of the squad isn't good enough. And you know the. The centre-backs aren't amazing. The goalkeeper's not amazing, as you mentioned before. I don't think the midfield's particularly great. It's basically Ward-Prowse and Ings who are the ones who are the standout players for them. And I think if you lose one of them, then it could be a tough season next year. But we'll have to see what happens in the meantime because you know anything could happen in this weird transfer market with with Brexit and um, COVID having, having an effect on everything. So we'll see what happens. But I... I can't see. I, I think this Southampton side is as good as it's going to be for a while. I think they're going to get progressively slightly worse next season, and we'll have to see what they, what they can do when that comes. I feel like we're a bit harsh on West Brom, though. I just want to say, like West Brom did do really well last <laughs> week, and they might win tonight. They might have a. They might be in a good vein of form. So I, I don't. I don't want to upset any West Brom fans. Just, just... <laughs> I can't ignore that minus 28 goal difference or whatever they've got. So I don't think Southampton's is much better after conceding nine to uh, Manchester United. But just two wins for <laughs> Southampton since they beat Liverpool 1-0 on the 4th of January. Those coming against Sheffield United and Burnley last time out. Those uh, Premier League wins, of course. Anyway, they take on West Bromwich Albion this evening at the Hawthorns. And with that, that is the conclusion of today's Football Social Daily Podcast. Thank you very much, Imran. Good debut. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was really enjoyable. And Marley Anderson, thank you very much. I'm sure we'll catch you again later on this week. Um, enjoy basking the Newcastle three points. Oh, it's, tell you, it's like a it's like a little holiday on this lovely. Uh, pubs are open. Newcastle won. Happy days. Happy days. <laughs> Drink it in, as the old saying goes. Just, anyway. just need a haircut now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name's Niall. Thanks for listening in to Football Social Daily. More podcasts right throughout the week and every day for the rest of the season, of course, because we are the only daily Premier League podcast out there that you can find. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode. Also check out the Sports Social Podcast Network where you can find this show and the United Hour and loads of other shows as well. Sport-social.co.uk. But that's it for today and we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.